I recently read a great autobiography, and it's connected to the intro of this podcast, um, Maya Angelou. I know why the caged bird sings. Great autobiography. I know why the caged bird sings. By Maya Angelou. Forward by Oprah Winfrey, coincidentally. Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Oprah, she writes this beautiful um, introduction to this classic uh, landmark book in, I guess you can call it Black Experience in the United States. You know, Maya Angelou. Um, and in the introduction of this podcast, um, I did a rendition of her poem, Caged Bird. Now, in searching out that poem that I wanted to do for the podcast, a, a recital, I came upon, you know, okay, she also has an autobiography. Her first, you know, she has a series of them, right? As, you know, time goes on, there's more to be said. So, the first in the series of her autobiographies is, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Read it. And man, I can't recommend it enough. I can't recommend it enough as a, uh, as just an enjoying, an enjoyment in reading. It's entertaining. It's insightful. It's wise. It's humorous. It's gut-wrenching, heartbreaking. And it really packs a wallop. It really, it really does. I started off by being, you know, I read the introduction that Oprah wrote, a beautiful foreword that Oprah wrote, how, you know, when she was growing up, she was looking to see herself reflected in the societal narrative. And she wasn't hearing or seeing any of the stories that kind of spoke to her as a young woman. And, you know, she, she reads this book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. And coincidentally, she has an opportunity as a young journalist to interview, to interview um, Maya Angelou. And they became lifelong friends up until Maya Angelou's death, I believe, in 2014. Unfortunately, she passed away. She lived a long, successful life. And, you know, I read the foreword by Oprah, got into the book, and, you know, at first I was kind of like, all right, this is, you know, it's, it's nicely written, there's a command, there's a flow, you know, that's very, that's very understated about writing. If you have any experience writing, like, I write my jokes, I have some humble writings myself, and... It's so glaring when, well, that's why, that's how people become professional writers. There's a certain flow that sometimes it's just about, you, you can just feel it when you're reading it. It just comes through the page. It comes through the words. So, you know, she had a flow definitely. And I was like, okay, this is nice. This is nice. Oh, wow. This is kind of insightful. Oh, wow. This is 
kind of informative and kind of heartbreaking and oh wow this is kind of humorous oh wow this is kind of edgy and interesting and entertaining and wow like i'm actually now like you know i'm looking forward to like you know every time you read a chapter or two the next day you're looking forward to read some more what's the next bit what's the next story what's the next progression in this autobiography and it just drew me in and it it, unf it unfolded in a way that i truly did not expect because yo i'm a i'm a man in 2020 and i'm a black man and um i believe in accountability and self-reliance and i also believe in an understanding of underlying factors systemic racism uh prejudice i'm aware of these factors but i'm also very much in the belief of self-reliance community organization accountability family and i was a little skeptical going into it i'm like i don't really know i don't know what to think like i'm pretty I'm pretty, uh, you know, I'm pretty cynical in my worldview, the belief that people are motivated by self-interest. I'm cynical in my worldview, but I'm like a humanitarian in my heart. So I wasn't really sure what's this book gonna mean to me. It's, it's a part of literary history, black culture history, you know, the English language history, you know, she's a famous writer and a poet. I didn't really know what to expect. And like I said, it just unfolded in a beautiful way. It flowed lovely. It was a celebration of childhood, a celebration of the loss of innocence, a celebration in the overcoming of racial barriers, a celebration in personal accountability and realization, humor, you know, family dynamics, you know? And for me as a man, it was a palatable insight into women's issues, you know? It I I had a great respect respect and interest in her perspective as she told some of her stories coming up as a young woman in um, uh, Arkansas, I believe. She moved around, you know. Arkansas, um, San Francisco, California. And, you know just really unfolded in a beautiful way. I have a couple um, quotes, excerpts that I'd like to share with y'all now. Um, this is one is on, uh, I found very, very, very um, insightful. Um, let me read for you here. This is from, I know why the caged bird sings little snippet 
I find it interesting that the meanest life, the poorest existence, is attributed to God's will, but as human beings become more affluent, as their living standard and style begins to ascend the material scale, God descends the scale of responsibility at a commensurate speed. You know, that was very meaningful to me, you know, because there's not many examples in the book where she speaks her opinion directly to the reader. She's mainly just telling a story, but she never, she never really comments on the, on the story that frequently in the book. And, you know, here she is making this very wise observation about God and human life, you know, like, it's interesting that the more fluent our living standard and style ascends, God descends the scale of responsibility at a commensurate speed, you know, we get away from God once we start becoming full of ourselves and, you know, God being the God of your choosing, folks, um, I personally believe in God. I believe in a higher power. I believe in a creator. You know, um, I see the beauty in his or her design, you know, the human body, for example. Um, the, vol the involuntary, voluntary function, right? We don't volunteer to breathe. Our body just automatically knows how to do that. That's life. That's the spark of life in motion that science can't answer. There's a belief in science. They call it scientism. The belief that everything can be explained by science and anything that can't be explained by science is not worth thinking about. A scientific approach. But for all the science and knowledge we as human beings have come up with, which is great and impressive, technology, here I am on camera on the internet, this is technology, this is a masterpiece of human invention, but for all our science and know-how, how do we explain a heartbeat? How do we explain breath? How do we explain the inner workings of the body that we don't volunteer for? It's involuntary. I'm just breathing, involuntary, you know? My heart is pumping blood through my body. My organs are functioning. That's the spark of life that I don't volunteer, but I am given, that we are given. How do you explain that? And I found that, you know, very insightful in the book, that little quote, you know? There's also this uh, really great passage where um, Maya Angelou, she speaks on her youth. Um, well, the whole book's about her youth. <laughs> it's an autobiography on youth. But um, there's a passage where, you know, she's of a teenage time. She's in her teenage years. And she's applying to be a conductress, conductorette or a motorette, as they call it. She wanted to work on the San Francisco street trolley. And, you know, she wanted to be a coin operator. This is like mid-40s. So she goes down to the office to apply. 
and um, there's a white receptionist, a white lady. You know, she says, hi, I'm here to apply for the job. I want to be a conductress, conductorette for, for the San Francisco trolley. And the white lady looks all befuddled, like, um, um, well, our hiring manager is absent at the moment. I don't know if the job is really available anymore. And, uh, I, uh, uh. And Maya's like, well, I'm answering the ad in the paper. You know, there's an ad in the paper that I'm answering. I mean, the job's still available, isn't it? Well, um, I don't know. I'm gonna, well, well, why don't you come back? Okay, sure, I'll come back. Uh, when should I come back? Um, uh, <clears throat> oh, heavens. Um, well, why don't you come back uh, to see the manager at, at this time? Uh, okay, I'll come back later. Thank you. Oh, okay, thank you, miss. And she leaves. And then the passage goes on to, she goes on to say, how in that moment, the idea of black and white, racial tension, racial games, she just saw through it all. She felt so sad that as a black woman and as a black, as a black woman and as a white woman, they were both forced into playing this little game that was based on hate, prejudice, disrespect from the people that came before her, the people that came before them that had nothing to do with the present moment. They were both victims of the racial prejudices of, you know, one, one color holding down another color, one color resentful of the other color for their past indiscretions and, you know, their, their past transgressions. They were all kind of a victim of the same hypocrisy and petty, ugly, twisted human nature. You know, that was the point she was making. They were both victims. And that insight where it's like, basically, you can't hate one and love the other. You know? So, you the, the hater... And the hated are both victims of the higher hypocrisy, you know? And it's a game that a lot of people are forced into playing, you know? They call it white privilege. And a lot of times it's like a situation that they're forced into, born into the legacy of whatever, you know? It's an overall ugly thing for both parties. Sorry, I dropped my hanky drop my hanky and pick it up but like you know it's that lineage of just you know victimhood on both ends and you know even in the 1960s i believe is this when this book was first published yeah like uh what was this book published 1969 copyright 1969 you know in the height of this in the midst of the civil rights movements Maya, Maya Angelou had the insight to see that, you know, it's a victimhood on both ends. Past transgressions carried down, hatred carried down, you know, and 
It benefits both cultures to work together and to celebrate one another. You know, it, you know, there's no, there ain't no answer in hate. You know, if you hate, you can't love. How can you hate one and love the other? You know, if I hate you for your color, your gender, your sexuality, if I hate you for an arbitrary reason like that, then I hate everybody. How can you look somebody in the face and hate them for no reason, then turn around and love your family and love your kids and love your friends? You don't love anybody. You're clouded with hate. If you hate one, you hate them all. And it's an it's a all-encompassing hatred and victimhood that we all have to take our part in our accountability in and transcend and that was like the insight of this book you know i know why the cage bird sings and the 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 adolescent you know the the, the uncertainty and awkwardness of adolescence and what a great book. And it was on par for me. It was on par for me with like other writers that have touched me in that way, like Charles Bukowski. Coincidentally, they're both from the uh, California area. You know, uh, I believe they're both from San Francisco at different points of their life. You know, um, I believe Charles Bukowski was raised in San Francisco. I think he was born in Germany, raised in San Francisco. And, you know, Maya... Angelou, uh, I forget where she was born, in the South, in Arkansas, but she was raised in Arkansas, raised in California, and I, they have a very similar kind of vibe, because they're both poets, Charles Bukowski, renowned drunk, alcoholic, you know, post office, factotum, uh, barfly. Uh, you know, all his poems, you know, he's very similar in that he wrote poems and then he also wrote autobiographies, you know, as I mentioned there, post office, factotum, uh, Hollywood, barfly. These are autobiographies that he wrote much in the style of Maya Angelou. I know why the caged bird sings and various others and her poems. Like, I remember as a young man, as a young man, I had my feelings of rebellion, my feelings of disenfranchisement, my alcoholism. <laughs> um, I had a lot of these things going on and I really connected with Charles Bukowski. I really felt, I really felt him on like, in, in his writing, my favorite being like, uh, my two favorite being Post Office and Ham on Rye. You know, Ham on Rye had a very similar feel to um, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. It's that exploration of humanity and just the, the beauty in how it unfolded in both cases, Charles Bukowski and Maya Angelou. And that's what I mean. I was, 
I was really taken back because it's like, hey, when you hear, when the soul speaks to you, the soul speaks to you. It doesn't matter in what color and what language. Well, maybe it matters in language. <laughs> if you can't understand what the fuck you're reading, it might be a problem. But um, it, the heart, the heart understands what the heart understands. You know what I mean? And you know, you can be moved, whether it be some German American bar hopping, burnt out alcoholic degenerate like uh, Charles Bukowski, underneath all of which, you know, a shining soul. But you could be this degenerate like Charles Bukowski, or you could be this very insecure, questing black woman like Maya Angelou. And then the heart wants what the heart wants when it's unfolded, when you hear the truth in, in, in their words. So, you know, I definitely recommend to anybody, Maya Angelou, I know why the caged bird sings. Powerful stuff.